Today's episode is brought to us by CS Instant Coffee, the best coffee for any adventure you're going to go on. Use the code ADVENTURE at csinstant.coffee and get 50% off through September and October. So give it a shot. And we're also brought to you by Rome Products. They make elastic knit minimalist style wallets with all sorts of designs. Get 20% off the perfect minimalist wallet for all your adventures. It'll hold everything you need by going to wheredoyouroam.com and use the code PODCAST with a capital P at checkout. And last but not least, we have Umbras, the sunglasses that removed the arms and replaced it with a cord that you can cinch comfortably around your head. It will not fall off whatever you throw at it. So go to ombraz.com to learn more. Success can be completion, but success can also be deletion. If you determine a success in your life to be a completion success, you need to use any method to get it done. Get dirty, grit your teeth, and grind. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast. Trying to help you find adventure every day in any stage of life. You're going to hear from explorers, adventurers, business owners, and anyone living their life a little more out of the box than usual. Just want to start out saying I had an amazing weekend. Nothing crazy. Went for some bike rides. Got to hang out with my family. Uh, what a what a blessing. Gosh, I, I hope yours was great. But I'm in a pretty good mood on Sunday night making this intro. So, yes, I make the intros pretty much the night before the the episode comes out. Just just to keep things fresh. Uh, but anyway, today we're interviewing Sam Channels. He was on the show back on episode 554. Uh, he is a student at Georgia Tech. And gosh, this guy just fits any chance in his life he has to fit adventure in. There's an adventure planned. And I, I get a lot of inspiration from him. I know you will too. He's very young. He's 21. Uh, he might be 22 by now. I actually, we didn't talk about when his birthday was, uh, but he, he was on the show back in August on it again now, but he has so much to talk about, so much experience already. He's doing Aconcagua in a month. I mean, the guy is just relentlessly driven and I, I just really appreciate his level of wisdom and his level of planning and his level of, uh, just thoroughness in how he, conducts his adventures. It uh, helps people like me who are extremely type B to, to plan for our own adventures. You can go to his website at engineeredforadventure.com and it truly lives up to its name. It's just incredibly detailed about trip reports and his route and the gear lists and planning and uh, what lessons he learned. Uh, if you want to do anything uh, that he's done and, and that list is growing all the time for him. So I'm sure there's something on there that all of us want to do and uh, I would totally start at his website and get it going from there. Uh, just fun to talk with, and I, I can't wait to see what his future holds. Hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. I didn't even mention what uh, Sam was coming on the show to talk about today. He's doing the Colo- or he did the Colorado Crest, which was this self-made kind of conglomeration of trails and routes to to make his own forty-day adventure across Colorado, and uh, j- just a really trying, really kind of coming of age experience for him but i hope you enjoy and also good luck next month sam we're uh we're rooting for you all right what all have you done since uh we last talked you were on you were in the middle of your cascade experience so i finished out the cascades i think we had talked just before Mount Rainier. Yes, you had climbed Hood and was going up to Rainier. So funny story about Hood. When we had talked last, I had just come down from Mount Hood and I had actually just gone to a podiatrist appointment because my big toenail was falling off. The doctor basically said that I had two options that they could surgically remove it or I could just let it fall out and I asked well I want to be climbing Mount Adams tomorrow so which one would you recommend and she said yeah let it let it fall out naturally there you go and you can use it as like a a spork or something exactly (laughs) 
So anyway, after we talked, I went off to Mount Adams, then did Rainier twice, did uh, Mount Baker, did Dragon Tail Peak. I did the Tarbigan Traverse. I did a 50 miles one day climb of Mount Olympus in Olympic National Park. Oh, and that place awesome. Oh my God. We, we ran through the rainforest to the glacier up to the top of Mount Olympus and then back down. It was incredible. Wow. And then finished out that segment with the West Ridge of Forbidden Peak, which is amazing. Jeez, man, that is unbelievable. How'd your toenail do? It fell out. (laughs) (laughs) And then immediately after that, I headed up to Alaska, where I led a backpacking expedition for Georgia Tech that I had been doing for the last three or four years. And then after that, I went home for a week, and I headed out to the Sierra Nevada to do the Sierra High Route. And I only ended up doing half of it because of a family emergency that ended up taking me off trail. I had to come home Mm. halfway through, but the trail will always be there. Or not the trail, the route will always be there. So I can go back at any point. And then started school. How has school been going, man? Because, yeah, that's a lot. It's hard to focus, I'm sure, after so many adventures. It's it's going really well. I think now that I'm in my fourth year, it's easier to get into a groove. It's easier to understand how to manage my time, easier to get back into the swing of things now that I live in the same house I lived in last year, so I don't have to spend time moving in, and I understand what exams are like. And now my classes are a lot more project-oriented mm-hmm. and lab classes rather than really hard theory and curriculum. But I just got back two days ago, just got back from fall break where I went to the Tetons with three buddies of mine. And it was more winter than it was fall. We had planned to hike the Teton Crest Trail. We ended up snowshoeing the Teton Crest Trail because they had gotten two feet of snow that week. Oh, man. It was epic, though. Temperatures, yeah, temperatures were down to about 10 degrees at night. So it was chilly, but we we were prepared. And there was nobody out there. Jeez. I don't know of any other time of year when you can get Grand Teton National Park all to yourself. Yeah, I think it just probably threw everybody off, you know, because people ski it, but you know, it's too early to do that. But then you're not planning exactly. on it this time of year. But if you want to climb it, you probably don't want to, you know, be snowshoeing and stuff. So, yeah, you're, you kind of, this Venn diagram didn't overlap right there. And you guys got to do it right then. Exactly. And so we had an awesome time, looked at the Grand, and I was already planning when I'm going to go back and climb it. It, it just is such an, a majestic peak. There's really, it's kind of incomparable, even to places like the High Sierra, to the Rockies. It's just so sheer. Yeah. And it really just blew me away. And I'm back and building up to December when I'm going to go down to Argentina with the team I've got assembled. Yeah, that's coming up. Jeez, I, you know, Aconcagua, that's, I've seen, yeah. seen some posts and stuff, man. You got to be excited about that. Super excited. Things are just plugging away. It's It's been an awesome time. Wow. Yeah, you're right about the Teton too, the Grand. It's just so they say Pike Pike's Peak is called America's Mountain. I totally think it should be Grand Teton. Yeah. It's so much more iconic, you know. <laughs> yeah. But man, well, you know, with, with all these adventures and all this stuff you got going on, I, I hate to draw it all the way back to last year. <laughs> or, or yeah. <laughs> no, no worries. To talk about the Colorado Crest. Um what do you what do you call it? You call it the Colorado Crest Adventure or the just the Colorado Crest? I just call it the Colorado Crest, and that was a name that I gave it okay. because, to me, it was the route that most closely followed the high points of Colorado, hitting the San Juans, hitting the Wemanooch, hitting the Collegiate Peaks, Nolan's 14 route, and then high route through Rocky Mountain National Park. So in my mind, it was 
the Colorado crest, the, the, the crown jewel of, of Colorado. Could, could you just, you know, I know you just kind of went over it. Can you just share some quick facts on it? Like it, it's basically from the southern point of Colorado, the, the, the um, border to the northern border along pretty much the highest ridge in the in the state, which does follow the the Continental Divide Trail for a little bit. But then it, you know, like you said, it breaks off and does all these other things. How many miles was it? So the route was, I like to say, self-assembled. It consisted of existing routes, trails, mountaineering routes, off-trail routes, but in a sequence that I don't think had been done before. It started at Cumbers Pass, which is near the, pretty much at the New Mexico border with Colorado, and follows the Continental Divide through the San Juan Mountains, through the Wemenuch Wilderness and through up to, I think I stopped off in Salida, Colorado. And then from there, I picked up Nolan's 14, which has gotten fame recently because Joe Grant, a Black Diamond ultra runner, recently published a movie about it. But the Nolan's 14 route links together 14 14ers in a row. It is grueling. It yeah, is I've heard stories. I've I've been on the route a little, but man, it sounds crazy. <laughs> it's pure vertical. Oh man! And links up fourteen fourteeners through the uh, Sawatch Range, and kind of ends near Copper Mountain, and then from basically from Copper Mountain through Frisco. I use the Continental Divide Trail and other other trails to link up to the Fifner Traverse, which was popularized by Andrew Skirka, a good friend of mine, and follows the Continental Divide through the James Peak Wilderness and then through the Indians Peaks Wilderness and all the way through Rocky Mountain National Park, where it ends at uh, Milner Pass, which is north of Estes Park. And... The route in total was just over 650 miles and took me, including, I think, three or four zero days. It took me 39 days in total. And a few of those days, my my dad joined me for the last three or four. So um, I wasn't trying to set any kind of FKT or, or do it crazy fast, but came out to around 18 miles per day. And that obviously varied. Towards the beginning, when I was on the Continental Divide Trail, I was often doing 25 to 30s. Um, through through Nolan's 14, it was mostly 12 to 15. And then through the Fifner Traverse in the beginning, it was around 10 to 12. And then when my dad joined, it was more like 5 to 8. Oh, old dad, slowing you down. <laughs> 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 Most days were anywhere from 4,000 to 8,000 feet of ascent um, with a n- near mirror image in terms of descent. So looking at around 8,000 feet of total vert per day. Good gracious, man. Now, now you know, obviously there's there's some pre-existing portions of this trail, but how did you, how did you just decide to come up with this and, and do this to, to plan on essentially... 40 days to do something on your own. Um, kind of new to all this. Yeah. It started from me wanting to push my boundary. I had done the John Muir Trail. I had done an expedition to New Zealand. I had climbed Kilimanjaro. I had done a lot of hiking in the Southeast, but I really wanted to expand my presence and my experience into Colorado and doing long distance and solo hiking. It, I had never solo hiked before. This was my first time. Yeah, because you did the John Muir with your dad. Right. Uh-huh. This was a pretty big step up for me. Yeah, no, this is a big step up for anybody. <laughs> I was interested in seeing how my body could take long mileage, a lot of vertical, and also testing my mental fortitude. And the route almost made itself. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Initially, at first, I wanted to link up the Fifner Traverse and the Wind River High Route in Wyoming. And I reached out to Andrew Skirka. And his advice was, you're not going to have a very cohesive experience if you do that. The two high routes are going to be amazing experiences. 
But in between those two high routes, Wyoming's really flat and you're going to kind of get bored. So I shifted my focus towards Southern Colorado, which I had done some reading about the San Juans and they were unbelievable. And I had read about the Colorado Trail and I started to piece together that Colorado was kind of one of the gems of the CDT, of the Continental Divide Trail, and that I wanted to experience part of that. And I had read about Nolan's 14 and the type two fun masochistic side of me just kind of drooled at that possibility of pushing myself that hard and the 14ers and linking up 14 14ers just sounded too cool to not do. And then Skirka's popularized Fifner Traverse through Rocky Mountain and the Indian Peaks seemed incredible, seemed unique. It was, I wouldn't say luck, but seemed too good to be true at first that the three of those experiences could link together pretty seamlessly. And resupplies worked out well. I got very, very lucky. I have to say I got very, very lucky with snow. The year I did it was a drought year for Colorado. And I started my hike in the San Juans May 27th. That's pretty early. Yeah. Normally you'd be on skis. Yeah. Especially if you'd done it this year. Holy cow. You'd been on skis in July. Exactly. And I got really lucky in that through the San Juans, I had snow and it was post holy and punchy in the late afternoons, but I could manage. I didn't actually use an ice axe for any of this. I carried micro spikes for the first two weeks and then mailed them home through Nolan's 14, didn't really encounter any snow at all. And through the Fifner Traverse encountered one section of snow in the Northeast Gully which is in Lone Eagle Cirque and on Paiute Pass and was able to manage with trekking poles. And I was there later in the day, so I could kind of kick steps. So I got very lucky with conditions. But overall, it was definitely an amazing experience. I would really recommend doing sections of it or for people that are looking for maybe not quite a six-month or three-month journey like the AT or the PCT or the CDT, but people who are looking for a one-month, two-month journey that pushes their limits but has some exciting features and has different characteristics throughout it, I'd really recommend the route because you have on-trail portions, which gets you ready for the off-trail portions. You have some high alpine portions. You have some more forested portions. And you get to hit some of the most amazing natural areas in Colorado, like the Indian Peaks Wilderness, Rocky Mountain National Park, San Juans, Wemenuch. It's really diverse and really, really, I think, an interesting experience. It's not always possible to take a French press or a coffee maker out in the woods with you. But thankfully, now you don't have to because there is a great option in CS Instant Coffee. They make 100% Arabica Instant Coffee in compostable packaging. It's perfect for the outdoors or whenever you don't have the time to make a fresh pot. And right now, you can save 50% on your first order by going to csinstant.coffee and using the code ADVENTURE at checkout. One of my new favorite pieces of gear is actually my wallet. And that's because it's been inspired by simplicity by Rome products. It's a minimalist style wallet, holds my cash, my cards, holds it really tightly because it's elastic. And it's probably eliminated my wallet size down by 60 to 70%. They offer a variety of designs from artistic to patterns and they're machine washable if they get dirty. They come with a little carabiner so you can clip it to things like your keys or your lanyard. And they also offer a complete line of silicone rings with a variety of styles and colors. So if you're tired of carrying around a big bulky wallet, go to wheredoyouroam.com and use the code PODCAST with a capital P at checkout for 20% off. Were there any parts of it that, besides the Nolan's 14, that were just off trail or where you had to link up parts of it just by finding your own route? So the Fibner Traverse is a high route. 
and is an off-trail route, meaning mm. that it's a connect the dots. So you parallel the Continental Divide Trail, or not Continental Divide Trail, you parallel the Continental Divide. Yeah, and okay. there are sections of the Fifner Traverse, especially through Rocky Mountain National Park, that will follow a trail for five miles, and then you'll aim for a pass. And there's no trail up to that pass, so you have to use off-trail etiquette, off-trail navigation to get up there. And then there's a descent, and maybe you pick up a trail in the basin or the valley. And so there are off-trail characteristics of that route, as well as the Nolan's route. So, so going into it and honestly, not a, cause a lot of this, it's not just hiking a trail. It's a lot of serious climbing. How much climbing gear did you have to bring? None. This was all scrambling. <laughs> okay. 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 I think the highest level of exposure that I put myself into was class four a few times. There was no class five, which is let me explain the classification system. Basically, sure. class one is walking, class two is hiking, class three is hiking, and maybe you want to use your hands or protect yourself from some hazard. Class four is scrambling, where there is consequence. And there's different levels of class four, and there is a level of class four that's basically four points of contact. You have your two feet and your two hands, and you're kind of climbing in a way and then class five is what is rock climbing and there's five one all the way up to five fifteen i think is the highest that anybody's climbed but yeah. class five would be what people think of as rock climbing you have a rope you have a belayer you have uh, a harness on a helmet and there was no point on this route where i was doing class five rock climbing there was some class four portions specifically through the Nolan's route and through the Fifner Traverse. Some of those had alternatives for people that are looking for maybe not class four scrambling. On the Fifner Traverse, there are different ways of navigating as it's an off-trail route, but I happen to choose a few class four scrambles. Now, were there at all, I mean, did you know that going into it was just going to be at the most class four or were you kind of guessing at places? Because... You know, there's just, I don't know, it just seems like such a, you know, convoluted route that you pieced together that there was going to be something unexpected. I was able to get a sense that there would not be technical rock climbing based on topos, based on trip reports, not necessarily of the specific route I had done, but of trip reports in the area. And it took a lot of different research. I had to look up a peak and go on Mountain Project and... I had to look up things on summit posts that were unrelated to hiking, but maybe related to the area and piece together different information. And I reached out to people that were experts in Colorado, like Andrew Skirka, and asked them about specific navigational hazards, different areas. And he was able to give me a lot of good insight. So I was able to assess that it would not be class five rock climbing. There was a few areas where I wasn't quite able to assess whether it was going to be class three or class four, or if it was going to be a level of class four that I wasn't on, that I wasn't comfortable with. But my mentality going into this entire trip was don't put yourself in a situation that you can't get yourself out of. Be self-reliant and you always can turn around and go back the way you came. You always can bail out. There's nothing wrong with being smart and wise about mitigating risk, especially when you're by yourself. Did you have to do that at any point? No, I did not. And that was largely a function of me having experience leading trips and understanding my limits, but also being very detail-oriented in my preparation process, printing out tons of different maps and mailing them to different resupply boxes. And studying the next day's route when I'm in my sleeping bag and I'm about to get ready to go to sleep and understanding, okay, this looks like a pretty steep knife edge, but this traverse over on this side of the ridge looks a little bit safer. I'm going to go up there, I'm going to scope it out, and I'm going to see what what I can do when I actually can see it. On the experience itself, was there anything that really stuck out as 
you know, incredibly memorable or just an experience that you'd think back on and it kind of is the highlight of the trip? I think there's two specific highlights and one is solo and one is with my dad. And the solo one was really Nolan's 14. Every single just a, day. Just the whole thing, huh? Well, not the whole thing, but I think every day I woke up and I had a very clear objective, a summit, or maybe a f- couple of summits. There was one day when I did five 14ers in one day. <laughs> wow. Waking up with such a clear finish line in my head and understanding where I was in that race. Okay, I have 5,000 vertical feet to climb before I get to the top of Mount Ontario. I'm going to grind through this. Just got me down to that grit that I have and made me want to put in the miles, put in the hiking time. It got me really excited at the beginning of each day to get into my routine. And so churning through those 14ers and just checking off each one at the end of the day or multiple at the end of each day was really memorable. And I think the most memorable experience was the last three to four days through Rocky Mountain National Park with my dad. Not only because it was with my dad, but certainly each year I've had an amazing trip with him. And so getting to add another one was incredibly memorable. But there was one day, I remember it was July 4th, and we were on the Bighorn Flats, which is this huge open field on top of the Continental Divide. And we saw a herd of what must have been 150 elk. Oh, wow. That's in Rocky Mountain? That's in Rocky Mountain. Yeah. And my dad, when he came out to Colorado to meet me, said he had a checklist, because he's an avid photographer, he had a checklist of wildlife he wanted to see. He wanted to see elk? Check. When we got into camp that night, we saw a moose. That was on his list. Check. And the most elusive one of all on his list was bighorn sheep. They are so very rare and so very elusive and yeah, skittish. Are. Yeah, it, it is rare. You, you will see a bunch of them at all of a sudden, and then you might go months or years without seeing another one. It can be very difficult to see one. You're definitely. It's not like going and seeing elk in Estes where they're just like trees they're everywhere (laughs) exactly yeah you're totally right about that and the second to last day i remember we're scrambling up i forget what the peak's name i think it was mount ida i don't quote me on that though but it's near the end of the fifth traverse and a storm is setting in and we're kind of racing to get to our campsite or our camping area that we had decided on and I come around this corner and out of the corner of my eye, I see two bighorns and I turn around and I give a sign to my dad. Shh. I put my finger to my mouth. I say, quiet. There's a bighorn. And seeing him tiptoe on these big, massive talus fields around the corner to take the pictures that he had in his mind of these bighorn was so memorable and we we turned the corner we saw two big horns and then we saw like five more around the next corner like you're saying you see a herd of them and then you don't see them ever again and he crossed off those three on his checklist and so (laughs) getting to finish off the trip with him seeing the elk the moose the big horn that was one of the most memorable experiences, especially towards the end of the trip where I had put in so many miles, I had put in so many different summits, but it all culminated with that. That's pretty cool, man. You get to essentially help your dad achieve a goal uh, on your you know, bigger goal, overall goal. And for that to be one of your, you know, favorite experiences or most memorable experiences, that's, that's pretty cool of you. You know, I'm sure he was very, uh, I'm sure he was very excited to be there and be a part of it. It meant so much to him. And like I said, each year we've done something. We did the John Muir Trail together, and then we did Kilimanjaro together, and then we did that together. This past summer, we did the Grand Canyon Rim to Rim together, and I took him up Mount Baker. So it's it's really neat to have not only your father, but now that I'm an adult, 
someone that I consider one of my best friends come out and adventure with me. And at 59, he is kicking ass. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Yeah, that's that's so cool that you guys can enjoy a relationship like that. I have to say my dad's one of my best friends too. And uh, would you say this? Would your dad be doing these things if you weren't encouraging him to? Or are you kind of pulling him out there? Oh, yeah. Not only in terms of he doesn't have the background that I have, but I think part of the motivation is to go out there and experience it with me. And you're totally right. It is allowing him to have experiences that he wouldn't get to have by himself. That's so crazy, man. Just like that you're the one doing that. It's I, I, You don't hear it much. You know, I, I, I guess I'm around a lot of people that are outdoorsy, so they're raising their kids in it. But uh, you know, every once in a while, I hear someone like you that's it's kind of flip flopped that. Hmm. Um, so he's kind of you know discovering all this through you. Um, how's it? How's he doing it? Is is his love for it growing? Do you think he's at all going to start pursuing things on his own, or is it going to be, you know, like, hey Sam, what are we doing this year? Uh, I think that he has his limits. He definitely, when I brought him on Mount Baker, mountaineering wasn't his favorite thing. Okay. Because it was a little too much Sufferfest for him. But I think he wants to do something every year. He, it keeps him fit too. It gives him motivation to stay in the gym, to stay on the Stairmaster, on the bike, to get in some runs. And I think it's, I don't think he'll do it on his own. But I do know that as my parents near retirement, they want to move to somewhere that has mountains because it's become such a big part of my life and consequently part of their lives, too. So it's influencing him in a really positive way. That is really cool. Yeah, because you, you guys are on the beaches of Miami, pr pretty far from mountains in the U.S. right now. It always strikes people as odd when I'm up in these high alpine experiences and as a mountaineer and climber to hear that i'm from miami always strikes people for a loss yeah, yeah man I, I totally get that i can absolutely relate um you know I'd, I'd love to talk about you know this experience is so uh so interesting to me for someone your age to put together a pretty intense trip uh, basically um three different intense routes put them together into one and then just to go do it on mostly on your own other than your dad joining you towards the end um you know what were some of the biggest lessons that you learned uh one in particular i, I read was you you treated yourself first of all tell me some other lessons as, as well as how did you treat yourself along an experience like this i wrote up and I think that's what you're referring to, an article on my blog about lessons I learned from that trip. Because that trip, more than any other trip I've been on, was a lot of self-reflection and self-learning. Hmm. And that trip taught me, one, solo trips are going to be different than group trips or trips with friends, no matter how you put them together. And you, should, you need to go into a solo trip with that understanding. If you go into a solo trip and you're expecting to have the same feeling on the top of a mountain that you would with your buddies and have those remember wins and share those memories, you're going to be really miserable and you're not going to get out of the experience what you're looking for. Hmm. Because a solo trip is a lot less about that collective experience and a lot more about you either pushing your boundaries, learning more about yourself, or going for some kind of record or FKT or thing like that. Right, right. I learned that, and I realized this through being alone, that you're never, you're never alone. You may be by yourself, but you have a network of people that support you and that really enable you mm. and that you can tap into if you need that help. And I realized when I had some lonely nights on the trail that I had my mom, my grandma, my dad, my brother, my friends, all there if I needed them. If I had a zero day in town, I could call any one of them and I know that they would pick up the phone or eventually would pick up the phone and I could talk through what I was going through. And just bigger picture, I, I, I feel like, and this is getting a little deep, but... 
No, go for it. I realize that humans really are meant to be coexistent. We draw so much power and so much energy from others. And our strength is not just based on our own fortitude and our own grit, but really based on understanding how we can help others, but also how we can draw from others. And I always like to say, give a hand, take a hand. Mm. I knew that there were going to be times on this trip that I would need to take a hand, whether that was calling home on a zero day and just saying, hey, I was pretty lonely two nights ago. Can I just talk through it? Or giving a hand in inspiring, whether it was my brother or my friends who, when I would put up an Instagram post, would be like, that's amazing. Keep going. Keep going. And in a way, that support was taking a hand. When I would post on social media and people would say, you're doing great. Keep on going. You know, or they would send me a text message saying, you got 13 14ers, get the next one. That would give me the motivation that I needed to keep going. And then what you're referring to the other lesson of treat yourself, people work too hard not to enjoy life a little bit from time to time. And so at the end of the day, I always carried a chocolate bar and I would treat myself to a piece of chocolate. That little token is something that a lot of people do, but I felt like was a bigger mantra in my mind of rewarding myself for the hard work that I would put in. So if at the beginning of the day, I broke down the day's mileage into five distinct sections, I'd say, you know what, after this section, I'm going to take a five minute break. I'm going to reward myself with a drink of water and a snack, and then I'm going to keep going. Or maybe I'm going to reward myself by just letting out a yell and saying like, hell yeah, you're crushing it, Sam, and keep on going. Or maybe I'm going to put on my favorite song when I'm doing this climb, and that's going to keep me going. Treating myself was just about making sure, especially since I was alone, making sure that I was aware that my body was being stressed out, that I was looking after myself just as when I was hiking with my dad, I was looking out for him and he was looking out for me. I wanted to be my own hiking partner and treating myself was part of that. So for the last six months, I have completely switched over to Umbra sunglasses, and that's because they fixed everything that frustrates me about sunglasses. First of all, they removed the arms, so it's just a cord that connects the frame and it goes around your head, and it's able to cinch and securely fit against my head, doesn't shake off at all, and when you pull them off, it's completely flat because there's no arms, so you can't break them. So I put them in my pocket and they're good to go. You can wear them in the river, you can wear them biking, you can wear them playing basketball outside, they're not gonna fall off. And you don't get a headache from the arms pressing up against you. I was skeptical until I put them on and honestly, I, I don't even have any other pair of sunglasses now. And also they give back to the environment. They use zero plastic packaging. They plant 20 trees per every pair that's sold. And to date, they've planted over 125,000 mangrove trees. So if you'd like to get a pair, go to ombras.com and that is O-M, braz.com Man, you got a lot of wisdom, you know, for someone your age. I don't know if a lot of people tell you that, but hmm. uh, that's 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 some good lessons, man. What you know, I know for a lot of ad adventurers, a lot of um, you know, expedition leaders, even explorers, you know, there, there's all, a lot of times when you get to talking to them, there's this one experience that really sticks out to them is like this, just, just it's, it stands alone. Maybe it's a coming of age thing, or it's just something about the experience gives them this, um, feeling that the other ones don't. Do you feel that way about this experience or, or do all your experiences, uh, kind of seem equal to you? This is absolutely one of those experiences. I grew so much from this experience. I learned so much about myself, but also about the planning process. This was the longest trip I'd ever done. It required a lot of pre-planning, about eight months. It required a lot of collaboration with different people who resupplied me with different uh, land management areas. 
every part of it was transformational for me. So it was definitely one of those coming of age or transformational experiences that I've never really been the same since. And I'd say in a good way. What, what, was there ever a point on the trip that you, you wanted to stop doing it and you quit? There was one night and I remember it so distinctly. <laughs> it was camping out before I'm trying to remember the name of the peak. I think it, it was a 14er in the San Juans and I had blisters the size of a staples button on the bottom of my feet and I was in agony. But more than that, my mind just wasn't there. And I was thinking of all the wrong things. I was thinking of not the wrong things, but I was thinking of the pain I was in. I was thinking about the bailout routes that I had. I was thinking about how good it would feel to get off trail, which is normal. I remember a piece of advice that my grandma had given me. And my grandma's a success coach, so I got some good advice from her. And she, the advice she gave me was, success can be completion, but success can also be deletion. And she went on to explain that if, if you determine a success in your life to be a completion success, you need to use any method to get it done. Get dirty, grit your teeth, and grind. And don't look back. But you also need to be mature enough to realize when a success may be a deletion, whether that's a relationship, whether that's an experience. And she said that it's hard to realize that success can be deletion. It's one that's often overlooked and sometimes mislabeled as failure. But if you determine an experience, a relationship, a project to be a deletion success, you need to cut it off and you need to never look back. Don't ever think about using the word regret. Don't ever think about the thought of, well, if I had done this differently, you need to make up in your mind, I am better because I am not doing this. And that night, I played that over in my head. And I realized that this trip needed to be a completion success for me because I knew I was capable of it. And the whole point of me coming out there was to push my limits. And so I said, you know what, Sam? Break it down. Chunk it. Don't look at the next 400 miles. Look at tomorrow to breakfast. Get to breakfast. And after breakfast, get to lunch. And after lunch, get to dinner. After dinner, get in your sleeping bag. And after getting in your sleeping bag, read your notes for the next day. And after reading your notes for the next day, set your alarm and go to bed and repeat. And breaking it down and chunking it helped me get through and past that rough patch of the trip. And then I got into Nolan's 14, which, like I was saying, was one of the most exciting parts for me because it was a very chunkable experience. I could break down each day into a summit and a descent, a climb and a descent, a climb and a descent, a summit, and then another summit the next day. And having those mile markers to tick off just kept me going, made me feel like I was making some level of progress towards an end goal. That's amazing. Awesome advice. Great way to look at it. And, you know, I, I asked that because, you know, before you said this is a hugely impactful trip to you. And I always love to think personally, like, and I don't know if anyone else ever thinks this, but like, what what if you would have made the different decision that day, the other one, where it was like, I, I need to bail, I'm going to bail. Like, what would you have gotten back on? Would you have tried again? Would you be doing Aconcagua this, this December? You know, what would your what direction would be different? I don't know. I, I always think about that. I don't know if you do. I definitely have thought about that. And obviously, I don't know exactly what would have transpired. But I know that I would not have been as confident in my ability to push and to grind and to persevere. And it's almost fitting and cliche that during that trip, during the Colorado Crest, I listened to an audiobook called Grit by Angela Duckworth. And she was talking about how grit is one of the most undervalued but most important character traits of successful people. And her book is incredible. I'd really recommend listening or reading to it. This summer, 
in Utah, I was on the Hey Duke route and I listened to David Goggins book called Can't Hurt Me. Mm. And it has a similar premise, which is into what you've committed yourself to, even when it's hard. And I don't exactly remember what Goggins says, but he says something along the lines of it's easy. I think he says motivation is crap. And he said, motivation is crap because you can be motivated one day and not motivated the next day. And he says, you need to be driven because if you're driven, you wake up at the bit in every single morning and you know what your goal is. And I think that the Colorado crest kind of instilled that in me and waking up every day and having a life mission and getting one thing done every day or putting myself in positions where I can test myself and, and just getting to test my limits. It's something that I think I learned and the Colorado crest taught me from how hard it was. And if I hadn't completed it, I don't think I would have been the same person today. That is powerful stuff. Uh, recently, an artist told me that, uh, similar to what you just said about David Goggins, uh, um, inspiration is overrated. Really, art art is just work. Art is hard work because if you wait on inspiration, you're you're probably not going to complete any any art project you start. And so I'm like, wow, you know, I've never thought about it that way. But it's true. It's a matter of just just doing it. And I heard the same thing from an author recently who said, you know, writing really is just work. You know, people want to sit around and wait on some great idea to come around. It's just a matter of putting, putting work in and something's going to come out of that, you know? So right. Wow. Now, you know, I, I, I know we kind of delved into other types of to topics, but is there anything else that you want people to know about the Colorado crest, whether, um, an experience from it or something about the route? I talked a little bit about how I think it's scalable to different levels of experience. Mm. I think it's a really good opportunity for people who are looking for some off-trail experience, some on-trail experience. There's a lot of information on my website about how to plan for it. And I'd really encourage anybody who's interested to just reach out to me and I'm more than happy to provide advice. But I think bigger picture what I'd encourage people to take from my experience on the Colorado Crest is don't be afraid to create your own. Um, DIY a trail, DIY an experience. You don't just need to redo what others have done. And it doesn't need to be so incredibly novel that it's a world first. But maybe link up something that has been done, but maybe not in the way that you're doing it. Create your own adventure, and like I always stress, know what you're getting yourself into and modify your gear, modify your mindset, modify your planning accordingly. And there's so many adventures out there to have, and you can really make it special if you have ownership over it. If you feel like, you know what, this is, this is my route, or this is my series of summits. This is my traverse and make it exciting. Do something different. Hey, maybe we'll call this like the Sam's, Sam's Colorado crest or, or channels, Colorado crest or something. Kind of like Nolan's 14 or this will uh. be some challenge for ultra athletes to do, uh, that, inc that incorporates Nolan's 14 or do you, do you, do you want it to be an event almost or, or a challenge for people? Or is it just kind of want to let it remain this thing you did? Um, I'm not that attached to having it be a competition like Nolan's ended up being. And, you know, I'm, sh I'm sure that I'm not sure, but there may be people in, in the future who, link it up and try to do it faster and do do it faster. I'm not claiming that this is at all the fastest that I could have done. And I definitely could have done it faster, but I'd love to see somebody do the route again and give me feedback on where they think there can be additional alternates or some extra credit routes or some interesting add-ons. But more than anything, I, I think I'd love to just see people exploring our natural areas and being open and receptive to just exploring for the sake of exploring, you know, 
not going out and being so focused on hiking every single step of a trail or a route, but being more invested in the collective experience. I've seen, I've been on all three of America's long distance trails, the PCT, the CDT, and the AT. And I've met some through hikers that are just so focused on click on stepping every single foot on trail. And I feel like that loses sight of really the adventurous spirit of why those trails were created. So I think it'd be really amazing to see somebody do the Colorado crest in the way that I did it. But I would be even more happy if somebody used it as a basis for just exploring some of Colorado's most pristine wilderness. Oh man. Well said. Well said. I I totally agree. I'm sure a lot of you who live here in Colorado have been on some portion of it. Maybe this is something you can do if you can't do the whole, you know, CDT or something, shoot for doing something like this. If you have a month that you can spend or, or more than a month, a month and a half. Um, but, and, and obviously I'm going to link this in the show notes so that people can see what it is. Guys, Sam's just his detail level of detail on each experience is just so profound. It's like a, a, everything you need to know about the experience is within that. Um, I really appreciate you being so thorough uh, with all your experiences. I'm like, wow, you really lay this out to where the heck I could do it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, uh, you know that anytime I was ever re- or I, anytime I'm ever researching an experience that I want to try to recreate or, or, or do, it's so helpful when someone has done kind of every step that you've done and you've done it honestly to the nth degree of, of what I'm particularly used to. So, so thanks for that. Of course. Yeah, man. I'm sure you enjoy it in a way, but it just looks like a ton of work to me. So, (laughs) but you are an engineer and you're, you're pretty thorough. So exactly. I'm glad there's people like you in this world. (laughs) It's in my blood. Oh man. That's awesome. Well, Sam, I, I really appreciate you being on again. I foresee that this won't be the last time you have, I bet you have 15 things that we could make an interview about just right now, not including everything else you're, you're getting ready to do. Um, so I, I appreciate you being on again. I appreciate you having me tell my story again. Yeah, man. Well, well good luck in December. Uh, I can't wait to be following you. Uh, we're we're going to post your uh, Instagram as well. And man, I'm, I'm stoked for your future and I'm excited to see where it goes. And, and let's do this again at some point. Okay. Absolutely. Let's do it again. All right. All right, Sam. Well, enjoy your weekend, man, and have a good one. You too, Mason. All right. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast link is in the show notes. And also if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out, email us at info at adventure sports And until then get out there and have some fun. <laughs>